Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, we're going to continue our study looking into various doctrines and just we're trying to grow in what it is that we believe and connected to your prayer sheet is some of the uh, uh, scriptures that I'll be going over with tonight. But before I dive directly into that, I wanted first uh, to start tonight by talking about different ways, different views uh, uh, that have been taught, uh, that people have thought about regarding the structure of Scripture. How is Scripture, how is the Bible, you know, kind of put together? How, how, what is the flow of Scripture. And so I hope you'll bear with me for just a little bit. I think uh, it might seem tedious at first, but I, I think you'll see the importance of, you know, how is it that you approach Scripture? And it does have something to do with the topic tonight. I'm not giving you two sermons for one or two lessons for one or anything like that. But, you know, how do you look at, at Scripture? How is it structured? How did God work through history? So we know that, that, you know, even though the Bible is a collection of 66 works by 40 or so different authors through a period of roughly, you know, 1,500 years or so, it tells one grand story. It has one purpose because it tells us about God's dealings with humanity. It tells us about his plan of redemption with his rebellious creation, the creation that, that just kind of shook its fist at God saying no more. Now, there's no one that disputes this, but how do these different parts of God's revelation relate to one another? What is the progression of thought? What is the progression, uh, you know, why did God do what he did in Genesis and then kind of, you know, move, move on from there? How does, how does Abraham, Moses, and David relate to Jesus and all the stuff that's going on in the New Testament? Well, there's been a lot of different angles and views uh, that Christians have had over the years. And I, I'm going to try and describe some of these views. I'll just forewarn you, it is very minimalistic what I can do to describe these, and you can study them for yourself. And I think it's important because how you think God worked with humanity through the times of Scripture and how you think Scripture is... Uh, you know, is set up and how, how God worked through that. I mean, it's going to determine a lot of your uh, theology, I believe. Um, but so the, some of the different views, first is you may have heard the term dispensationalism. Um, there's what's called classic dispensationalism. This view breaks history up into different historical eras where God dealt with humanity in distinct ways through the epic of redemption. And it, Generally, and again, I'm just being minimalistic and just giving generalizations. Generally, they see seven distinct dispensations where God's redemptive plan changed over time. It, it changed with each dispensation. And so they maintained that there's a distinction between Israel and the church with God doing different things with different people. And uh, they do not see Israel as a type of uh, anyone or anything. And so God's promises to Israel are physical while the promises to the church are spiritual. Again, minimalistic, but that's classic dispensationalism. There's something called progressive dispensationalism, an offshoot of the classic. 
And the big difference is they do allow for the church to have some spiritual fulfillment from the promises of Israel. They see a progression from one dispensation to another uh, that God used to get to the point of uh, salvation. Um, The other major uh, understanding of the structure of Scripture is called covenant theology. And uh, they argue that God has one people throughout redemptive history called Israel in the Old Testament and called the church in the New Testament. God had one saving purpose for them, and that purpose is to redeem sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation and race through Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. God worked his purposes through a series of covenants. But generally, they break it down to covenant of work and covenant of grace with the latter kind of superseding uh, the former. But then there's a view, an offshoot. I mean, you know, with almost every view that there is, there's always going to be offshoots. So um, there's an offshoot from uh, covenant theology called progressive covenantalism. They see God as revealing and unfolding his plan of redemption through the covenants that he made. And all the covenants find their fulfillment and and termination, their terminus, their end, their goal in Jesus Christ. All the covenants were pointing to Jesus and God was moving that way. So all the covenants were ultimately pointing toward what God would do through Jesus Christ. The saving work um, was pictured or pointed toward or prepared for uh, through the covenants. And so the covenants are the structure and the backbone of God's revelation. Now, the reason I bring this up is because the topic for tonight is covenants. Um, And, you know, each of these views deals with covenants, but they deal with covenants in a a different way. Uh, Because it's just, you can't escape it. God God throughout history dealt with humanity through uh, these covenants. Um, You know, the... Again, of course, you know, I have my own personal bias too, so don't take my word for it. Do your own study. Um, the dispensationalists to me have, have a bit of a disconnect between the covenants, each covenant doing something different. The covenant theology people just break it between covenants of works and grace. Um, and so you might be wondering where I lie in that sea of stuff. And, you know, you probably, by the way I described the different things, you might, you might see my, my general leaning. I personally lean more toward progressive covenantalism because I believe that God had one plan from the beginning and he was working his way up to that plan. And each of the covenants where God revealed himself to, to humanity, you know, each of the covenant was building upon the previous covenants and it ultimately led to the covenant made through Jesus Christ, and that's the last one. There's no more covenants. That was the ultimate. That is the eternal uh, covenant. So all the covenants before that pointed to Christ in some way, shape, or form, his death, his burial, his resurrection, ultimately his return, which may or may not be soon. We don't know. We just got to be prepared at all times. But that was all pointed toward in, in um, the covenants. I believe this is the testimony of Scripture. I believe it makes the most sense out of the context of Scripture. But so covenant, talking about covenants, there's just a whole lot there, but I wanted you to know the angle that I'm coming from. Um, now, you know, those, those different views that I talked about, dispensationalism and all its flavors and covenantalism and all its flavors, 
I, I mean, we're, we're all good. That's, that's fun to debate. It is not a matter of salvation. It's not a matter of the gospel. It's not a matter of fellowship. And so, you know, you, we, we can all hold to different views uh, because I know we all ultimately believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and He, that's where, that's it right there, Jesus Christ. So, however, however you might get there, you know, that's okay. We can, we can discuss that. Now, for the creeds and confessions I've been looking at, and specifically the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, it takes on maybe more of a covenant theology flavor, um, but it, it, it at least gets us to discussing the important topic of covenants because you will see that word many times. I mean, it's, the word covenant is used in the Old Testament over 300 times uh, and in the New Testament a little under 100 times. And, and so it is an important concept if it's used that, talked about that many times uh, in Scripture. But let's see what uh, the confession has to say about that topic and then what uh, scripture that we can get to um, has to say about this topic. And so this is what uh, the Second London Baptist Confession says about uh, covenants. Um, it, it says, though rational creatures are responsible to obey God as their creator, the distance between God and these creatures is so great that they could never have attained the reward of life except by God's voluntary condescension. He was pleased to express this through a covenant framework. Since humanity brought itself under the curse of the law by its fall, it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace. In this covenant, he freely offers to sinners life and salvation through Jesus Christ. On their part, he requires faith in him that they may be saved and promises to give his Holy Spirit to all who are ordained to eternal life. You see a bit of, again, their Calvinist you know, leanings there. But to make them willing and able to believe but, you know, it's belief in Jesus Christ. Um, the covenant is revealed in the gospel. It was revealed, first of all, to Adam in the promise of salvation through the seed of the woman. After that, it was revealed step by step until the full revelation of it was completed in the New Testament. This covenant is based on the eternal covenant transaction between Father, the Father and the Son concerning the redemption of the elect. Only through the grace of this covenant have those saved uh, have those saved from among the descendants of fallen Adam obtained life and blessed immortality. Humanity is now utterly incapable of being accepted by God on the same terms on which Adam was accepted in his state of innocence. So you do see there, they, again, I mean, you see their reformed leanings, but then you also see the covenant of grace versus covenant of works dichotomy. Um, and so I don't agree uh, necessarily with just with that being the distinction, but again, you know, that's up for matter of debate. But what it's saying is, and it is a, the things that I think that we all can agree about, is that the Creator is way different than His creation. And so He has to condescend Himself in order to deal with His creation, and He did so through covenant. Now, you know, I, so I keep throwing out that word covenant. What is a covenant? In, now, in general terms, covenants are agreements between two parties that specify requirements between the two. It's usually ratified by an oath, and it includes blessings and cursings for either the obedience or failure of following uh, the covenant agreement. For purposes of Scripture, uh, we could say a covenant is a legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of the relationship 
and it's one-sided. God's the one that makes the stipulation, and other than, you know, what Adam was told not to do or had to do, you know, God's usually the one that's providing, you know, everything. Uh, So it's pretty one-sided. And so God's relationship with his creation, especially with humanity, it all begins with a covenant. Now, sometimes like the word covenant is not necessarily used, but the concept of covenant is there. And the words that are often associated with covenant um, are there. So it it all starts with covenant. It's a covenant of promise. It starts from the very beginning. Um, The plan of redemption is made through covenant. The relationship is based on covenant. And from my perspective, all the covenants follow one another. They grow upon one another. They define a single promise. And it's all leading up to Jesus Christ. Um, I believe Paul refers to this in Ephesians 2. He's talking to the Ephesians in uh, uh, verses 11 and 12. He tells them, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body by human hands, that you were at that time without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. So before they came to Christ, they they had no covenant with God. They were not part of Israel. And therefore, they they had no relationship with God. They were not, if you're gonna have a relationship with God, it only comes through covenant. They were strangers, it says, to the covenant of promise. And so there are several covenants that lead to the final covenant, but all of them have the same promise. All of them were we're pointing to where life and relationship with God is found. And ultimately, it can only be found in Jesus Christ. Um, and again, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll mention some of the covenants tonight. Not the word covenant isn't always used, uh, but it, it, the, the concept is there. So for example, God makes a covenant with Adam. The word covenant is not used, but when you read uh, chapters two and three, especially, I mean, the, the concept is there. God has given, or Adam has been given by God charge over humanity. He is to multiply. He is to take dominion over the earth. He is given a promise of life if he obeys God. And so Adam is the covenant representative. God is in covenant with, with Adam. And so anything that happens to humanity, it's dependent on Adam because he is our covenant representative. So Adam has to follow covenant. Well, we know that Adam broke covenant with God. He disobeyed God. He introduced sin and death into the world. And he ushered in the reason for all the future covenants that that, that were, were needed. But Adam was the representative of humanity. Adam broke covenant, well, guess what? We, we get all the results of his breaking the covenant. But you notice that God, because God told him, look, you eat of this fruit, you're gonna die. And the Hebrew is very emphatic. You're gonna like die dead, is what it literally says. You are going to most surely die. You are definitely gonna die. And, and yet God does not break off everything with Adam. He doesn't, 
There, there's a break in the relationship, but God doesn't like just cast him away either due to his disobedience. Instead, God makes a promise to Adam and Eve, which defines his redeeming work in bringing humanity back into relationship with him. Because, I mean, it, it's kind of mentioned in the creed, you know, God in covenant had already made an eternity past the plan of salvation for humanity. What, to, what he was going to do to bring humanity back into relationship with himself. But it starts out with a promise. Adam broke covenant. God easily could have just said, well, let's end that and let's go to plan B, but he didn't. Instead, he made the, started making a way of redemption. So God starts with a promise in Genesis 3.15 that I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman, talking to the serpent, talking to the evil one. I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, or, you know, depending on the translation, your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So, so consider this a part of the covenant with Adam. There is a promise that there's going to be a person where there, there, someone is going to come, a seed is going to come who will crush the person and the works of the, of the serpent. There is going to come a seed down the line who's going to crush the head of the serpent. It was fulfilled at the cross, and it bears fruit for all of eternity. So there's covenant. Then there was a covenant with Noah. This is where the word covenant is specifically used. Um, this covenant is partially a renewal of the covenant that God had with creation, but it's also a bridge for the future covenants. So uh, God told Noah in Genesis 6.18, I will confirm my covenant with you. You will enter the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. I'm going to be in covenant with you. You, you are going to be part of my plan of redemption. And you and your family are going to get, be saved. And only you and your family and the animals. But out of humanity, it's just you. It's just y'all. And then once they, you know, departed from the ark, in Genesis 9, 12, God said, this is the guarantee of the covenant I am making with you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all subsequent generations. We know about the rainbow. We know about that God promises he'll never destroy the earth again by flood. And in then verse 15, he says, I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures of all kinds. Never again will the waters become a flood and destroy all living things. And so God makes a guarantee to mankind that the world is going to continue in its natural order so that he can fulfill his plan of redemption on the earth for mankind. The earth is the grounds, the framework where God's redemptive plan is going to take place. And so he's not going to destroy the earth because redemption is going to happen on the earth. Well, God would later take one man out. Well, you know, it, humanity is so thick you know, it doesn't take long. They, they fall, humanity falls right back into idolatry. I mean, here, you have eight people, eight people saved in an ark. They saw the flood. They could tell 
their descendants about the flood and what the Lord God did. And what happened a few generations later? They're all idolatrous again. (sighs) But then God chose one man out of his idolatrous family to make him a covenant vessel, or make a covenant with him to be a vessel through whom the world would be blessed. So God called Abraham out of his land, out of his family, go see the land that I'm going to give your descendants. And again, it sets the stage for the future work of redemption. We know this, the story of, of God promising Abraham, look, your seed, your seed, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the seashore. And then if you remember in Genesis 15, God, there, there's this ritual where, okay, God puts, like, knocks Abraham out, puts him to sleep, and Abraham had set up this, this thing where he took these animals, split them in half. Now, normally what would happen in a covenant is that both members of the covenant would go through those split halves of these animals, and it was in essence saying, if either one of us break this agreement, break this covenant, may we be like these split animals, may God or whoever split us in half, just like these animals are, if we break covenant. Well, God knocks Abraham out, and God is the only one that goes through those animals saying, this covenant is completely based on me and my promises. It has nothing to do with you, Abraham. God is saying, I'm, I'm the one that's going to be faithful to the covenant because I'm the only one who can be faithful to the covenant. You humans, no matter who you are, who, no matter who I call, you're going to be faithless. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to keep covenant. I'm the one that's going to have to keep it. And God is. Well, God makes a promise to Abraham in covenant in Genesis 22:18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have listened to my voice. So the seed in Genesis 3:15, who's going to crush the serpent's head, is the seed of Genesis 22:18, by whom all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Who is that? It's not a nation. It is a person. Paul makes it abundantly clear in, Gen- in Galatians 3:16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. God from the beginning points to Christ, and each covenant points to Christ. The Mosaic Covenant provides the regulation and legislation of a nation through whom the seed would be born. The sacrifices in the Mosaic Covenant and the ceremonial laws point to Christ and his work. You know, for example, the Passover, Christ is the Passover lamb. The Day of Atonement, Christ is is the, the sacrifice for atonement. He is the scapegoat that takes our sins away by his death and resurrection. The book of Hebrews makes it abundantly clear that that the Mosaic law and the sacrifices and all that contained within the Mosaic law could never permanently take care of sin. You know, yes, it talks about the priests and the priesthood, but there's only one high priest who can be our mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. And so if you look at, you know, you read the laws of Moses, you know, the fun parts of Exodus and Leviticus, But then you you read Hebrews, guess what? 
It was all pointing to Jesus Christ. Then there's the covenant with David. Out of all the families of Israel, David was chosen to be king and his lineage was to bear the kingship for all of eternity. They were to have an eternal throne. He is told in 2 Samuel 7.13 about a seed from his lineage that this seed will build a house for my name and I will make his dynasty permanent. And then in verse 16, your house and your kingdom will stand before me permanently. Your dynasty will be permanent. And so the seed of the woman would be the seed of Abraham who would be the seed who's the descendant of David that would sit on God's throne forever. All of this pointing to the new and final covenant, which was the end game all the time. Everything God did was pointing to this end game. And even the prophets hundreds of years before it happened prophesied about what would come with this new covenant. And so, for example, in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 33, uh, the Lord said, Indeed, a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. It will not be like the old covenant that I made with their ancestors when I delivered them from Egypt. For they violated that covenant, even though I was like a faithful husband to them, says the Lord. But I will make a new covenant with the whole nation of Israel after I plant them back in the land, says the Lord, I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts and minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. We see something similar in Ezekiel 37, 24 through 28. Don't have time to go through that. But it was Jesus Christ who ushered in the new covenant, which fulfilled all the other covenants of Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, so on and so forth. Because Jesus, he made it clear at the Last Supper in Luke 2:20. He took cup after they had eaten, and he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant, he's saying, okay, that new covenant that Jeremiah was talking about, that new covenant that Ezekiel is talking about, I'm ushering it in. It comes through me. I am the end, the goal, the terminus. Everything was pointing to me, is what Jesus says. And for what that means for us is that if we are in Christ, we are partakers of, of everything God was planning from the beginning, from the get-go. From, we are partakers in his, the redemption that he, he brought. Because after, after Christ, there is nothing. He, he was always the end game. Christ was always the end game. And so, yeah, he came, but then what's next? Well, he's gonna come again. And then he's going to usher in the eternal kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth, and everything's going to be made new. Those who are in Christ are going to enjoy an eternity with him. Those who are not in Christ, well, we know what their end is going to be. But it's all about Jesus. And being in covenant with him. Are, we, are you in covenant with Christ? What, what is the covenant? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You know, Jesus said, you know, that if, if this blood is the blood of the new covenant. Well, covenants before were generally made through, again, an oath and, and an offering. Blood was often spilled for the, in fact, the Hebrew term is cutting a covenant. I don't know, most translations probably don't translate it that way, but it's cutting a covenant because you would cut an animal and blood would be spilt to make the covenant agreement. Jesus said, my blood is the blood that's going to be spilt to make this covenant. And it is eternal. 
That's it. It's done. It is finished. Nothing more needs to be accomplished. And so for those of us who are in Christ, we can stand secure in Christ. We can, we can stand secure in the knowledge that God's eternal promises belong to us. And, and, and may, it, may it cause us to pray more and more for those of us who are not, for those them out there who, who are not in covenant with God. I mean, everyone. And that's the wonderful thing about the gospel. God desires that all people be saved. And that means God desires people that we don't think deserve to be saved, God desires them to be saved. We humans, we like to, you know, categorize. But the wonderful thing of the gospel is, you know, there could have been a Roman soldier who persecuted Christians and killed Christians, and those Christians went to heaven. Later on in his life, this Roman soldier repents of his sin, comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and he dies. In heaven, the one he killed and the killer come together as brothers in Christ because the gospel is able to save anyone and everyone. And that's the covenant. It's not, well, this group of people can be saved, this group of people can't. That's not up to us. God desires everyone to be saved. The covenant is for everyone who would come and believe. And so we want to pray that everyone believes. And this is the hard part. We, we always want to be praying for Israel. And all the garbage that's there, the terrible violence, the wickedness on a, a level that has not been seen in a long time. We want to pray that God would intervene, would bring peace, would all those who have been kidnapped, you know, bring them, bring them out. But we also need to be praying for the salvation of Israel because they don't know their Messiah. But you're gonna get mad when I say this. We need to pray for the repentance and salvation of the terrorists. What are you talking about? Listen, think of the Apostle Paul persecuting, killing, Christians, and Christ calls him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Who are we to say who can and cannot be saved? Now, you know, I kind of, my prayer always is, Lord, if they're not going to repent and believe, then bring justice. But we can, we can never say, we can never say that they cannot be part of the covenant. That's not up to us. Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is part of covenant. No matter what you've done in the past. Look, if my past would be held against me, if my sins had not been taken from me as the east is from the west, if my sins had not been taken and thrown into the deepest part of the ocean, you know, the, as the Bible describes it, oh, I'd be in trouble. No, I've never been a terrorist. No, I never killed anyone. I never kidnapped anyone. I never blew anything up. And it don't matter. I was headed to the same hell as the Hamas terrorists were, except for Christ. And may we never forget that. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. 
For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.